Hey, so how's it going? Well, you just said, here we go. So now I just have, here we go one more time. Everybody's feeling fine. Here we go now. Stuck in my head. I, I didn't listen to a whole lot of 98 degrees. I Fuck couldn't you, even that come was a straight face to say it. I know. <laughs> I tried. I tried How to very <laughs> dare you. <laughs> you know, we just booked an Airbnb so we can go on a business trip, business trip, and record a bunch of episodes and definitely not just sit around and drink and go sightseeing. Um, but now I'm afraid that we should maybe just not go. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man oh man indeed oh my gosh you know how was your week uh so last week i did vacation bible school at my church tell everyone how you're dying of a child's disease for every day and then <laughs> and i hate you and then thursday night in my last class that I was dancing in, I got really lightheaded and had to excuse myself. Like, like I had been overwhelmed by the amount of step, oh. touch, step, touch, grapevining I had done all week, right? Well, first of all, you were at church, right? So you weren't step touching too much with your hip, were you? Because that's very sexual. You can't oh. do that. Uh, oh, I absolutely was. I also taught the kids how to drop it like it's hot with the Holy Spirit okay. so that we could. That's good. That's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Uh, right. If I just say Jesus just while out, we do the move. Yeah. Um. I just want to point out, I said, spoiler alert, that you have a child's disease. And you said, I'm getting on there. the last night, <clears throat> you said on the last night of VBS, I got overwhelmed. <laughs> I got lightheaded and had to sit down. Um, no, you and said then you Friday, got overwhelmed. I, overwhelmed like a child. <laughs> yes. I got lightheaded and had to sit down is what I tried to say. But never, I never Paul's know what's gonna coming out me. of my mouth until it's already come out. Um, Same. Yeah. And so um, then I was convinced I was dying because I never got better. And that's when Dr. Sarah diagnosed me with RSV. <laughs> Because I'm a fucking three-year-old. <laughs> I didn't. I Literally, you didn't tell me this until this morning. And so I'm still having a reaction to the news. Because I didn't know adults could get RSV. I really literally thought it was a baby disease. Because my son had RSV. And it's terrifying and horrible. It was a really bad experience. But I didn't know grown-ups could get RSV. <laughs> Oh, well, you're welcome. I'm glad I'm I so could glad your uh, wife solve sort of that misconception for you. <laughs> you know what, Erin? <laughs> I'm done. You, you have this episode without me. My, my sensor is going to turn these fucking lights off while I'm sitting here. My fucking panels are going to fall off the wall at me and you're going to make fun of me. That's the kind of night we're having here in this office. I was so excited to record my first episode of this office and instead my life is just falling apart. Your life is fine. Oh, your life is fine. Would you like me to tell you stories from my life for context about how your life is fine? 
No, listen, because I'm just being dramatic. Like you literally <laughs> had to have somebody go into your body last week, so you still trump yeah. me. But um, Thank you. right now, I want to be dramatic. <clears throat> okay. Please, you have the floor then. Please. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm gonna so I'm gonna be honest. I try very hard not to. I mean, on this podcast, obviously, yes, I'm dramatic because that's the person that I am. But in life, I try, especially when I'm sick, I try very hard not to be dramatic. And so every so often I have to have Sarah verify that I'm not a victim of the man flu because I'm like, am I being ridiculous? If I'm being ridiculous, please just let me know because I never want to be that person. Please don't let me be the man flu. <laughs> I have to say, the only reason it's so much fun to make fun of you for having the man flu is because you legitimately do not and you never act that way. And that's the only reason it's fun. Because if you did act like you had the man flu every time you got a fucking sniffle, then I would just want to murder you. I wouldn't want to make fun of you. <laughs> that's what Sarah says too. Sarah's like, if, if you're admitting that you need to stay in bed, then you must feel like shit. So I never, yeah. I never think you have and the you man and I flu. Are like, cut if you from tell the same me cloth, you feel bad. Right. You and I are cut from the same cloth because literally the morning I had surgery last week. You were like, I'm just tired. I'm just going to sleep a little longer. Yeah, I woke up and I was like, no, I woke up late and I was like, oh my God, I'm late for work. And I like yeah. logged onto my computer like I was going to fucking do something when I was absolutely out of my mind delirious. And my boss was like, can you please not fuck anything up today? Thank you. Go to bed. <laughs> Oh, man. That's right up there with the time that I went to work and worked a half day with appendicitis before I decided to go to the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> okay, so so one of my friends, I love my friend Bethany. I don't think she listens to us, but she would not mind me telling the story. Um, in college, she went home for the weekend, and her sister had to have emergency uh, app, an uh, emergency appendectomy, but she came back after spending the weekend with her sister, and she was like, "Paul, I just don't get it." And I was like, "What do you mean you don't get it?" And she was like, "So she went in for her ultrasound, and they said the appendix was there." And I was like, "Well, I mean, that's how it works until they take it out. Like that's what the ectomy part of appendectomy is. Yeah. Like." Like, let's break down yeah. these, mm -hmm. these Greek and Latin roots. And she was gotcha. like, well, if it, if it ruptured, why would they say it's there? How did they miss that it had exploded? And I was like, please don't go into anything medical. Please don't. Oh God. This, this woman is a video game developer making way more money than I will ever dream of seeing. And all I can think every time she puts out a new video game is like, she, she doesn't understand anything in the world. God bless it. <laughs> oh my. But I just like, I was so Hold lost. On one How second. did they not see that it wasn't there? No. Hold on. What is that? Oh, I'm so sorry. There is like the haunted. weirdest noise outside my apartment even the you cat is like cats. looking out the window we are moving in 20 days <laughs> i just have to survive 20 more days in this apartment and i'm not even sure i can do it because right now 
it is 9.23 p.m. and it is still at least 25 degrees hotter in this office than it is in the rest of my fucking house. It is hot as shit. Yeah. And I'm ready to move. <laughs> I'm done. I've packed one whole box uh, and I'm like, come on, let's go. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you the thing this week that made me feel better about our podcasting and everything that happens to us while we're recording. I was listening to office ladies this week and um, I'm right in the middle of like where the pandemic just started last year. And so they've had Mm -hmm. to transition from recording in a studio together to recording from home. And first of all, they had all kinds of technical difficulties with all that, but there was an episode. That's the one thing that we've always excelled out because everyone else was always recording in person. We've always recorded over the phone. And so when everyone went virtual, like everyone was having issues and we were just like, Oh, business as usual. Maybe we should switch right. to Zoom. Like <laughs> <laughs> right. Um but uh they were covering an episode of the show where there was a bird funeral in the show. And when exactly they started <laughs> when they started the episode, Angela Ken- Angela Kinsey was like, So before I came to record, I had to deal with a dead bird in my yard. And then, like, halfway through the episode, um, Jenna Fisher's son came running in and went, Mom, Sonny got a bird. And you just hear her rip her headphones and go, oh, shit. And go running out the door. And, and Angela Kenzie is just like, um, how crazy is it that in the episode where we have to talk about a bird funeral, both of us had bird issues. Like, that was not staged. Stars. But I just, like, just the like ripping that. of the headphones. Right? The ripping of the headphones and the, oh shit. I was like, oh, we have lived that so many times. I feel that. Well, if you follow me on Snapchat, and if you don't, don't worry, you're not missing anything. If you follow me on Snapchat, though, you will know that earlier today I posted this story of this thing just like wailing outside my window. And you heard it earlier because it was back. There is this bird that makes this god awful noise it just sits it's not like it doesn't sing a song it doesn't tweet no it makes a noise that is it just wails (laughs) it's how i feel on the inside every day (laughs) but if i don't if i don't get to sit on my balcony and wail then this bird cannot sit in the tree outside my apartment and wail it's just not fair erin Go open your fucking window. That's your literal spirit animal. It has found <laughs> you and it wants in. <laughs> oh, God. Well, do you want to know what I learned oh, this hey. week? No, oh, well, mm-hmm. yes. But this is Lifetime Sentence and I'm Paul. I'm Aaron. Please tell me what and... you learned this weekend. I learned this week that, well, and I'm going to learn because I haven't quite learned yet because I, while I did send you a bunch of messages about this case, I did not Google it. And I think you think I might have. I did not. I did not. Because that last text you sent me had me concerned. So there must have been an ending Chiron. Yes. No? Okay. Okay. My... My radar for shit that's not real... 
is pretty sensitive <laughs> at this point when it comes to Lifetime yeah. movies. And either Lifetime is getting really good at finding these fucking cases that are so bizarre that they seem fake. Right. And they're also and they're also getting smarter about the endings because usually when I watch a movie and I'm like, oh, that's fake. There's no Chiron at the end that tells me like, oh, so and so is in prison, so and so is happy, like blah blah blah. Right. This movie seems fake the entire time. But then at the end they talk about the people that are in jail. <laughs> you were and live so texting like, me about them. Oh my god. <laughs> this story is you were bananas <laughs> you were and... live texting me and you're like this has got to be fake and i was like yes yes they tricked her yes and you're like holy fuck it's real i was like damn it who told her like... <laughs> all right stanley tucci calm down who told you uh... <laughs> right no it was more like the truman show somebody had revealed to you you'd been recorded and i was pissed like <laughs> oh man no this movie is a ride and while I have hope that all of these details are true and accurate and like depict the actual story, I also have hope that this is so that they took a random story and made it so crazy that you're going to tell me like all the boring details because this movie is a fucking ride. And let me tell you, after how many weeks now of being depressed as shit when I get done recording this show, I am excited <laughs> to talk about it. Good. Good. This week I watched Secrets of a Gold Digger Killer. What is that noise? <laughs> is that know, you? It's not. It's not me. I'm going. Is it Junie? Is she playing games with your heart? Oh, I hear it. Something's gurgling at you. What? I don't know what it is. I'm kind of scared. Something's gurgling at you. It's like the it grudge, but like, like the low budget version. It sounds like dying cats outside my window, but I live on the third floor and I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> I don't know how to help you. Do you want an acoustic okay. panel? It might fall on me. <laughs> I put it back up. Take but... all of them. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, this week I watched Secrets of a Gold Digger Killer. It stars Too many words. Benz. Too many words in a title. Yes. Oh, it stars who? She. Julie Benz. From Buffy? From Angel? I'm sorry. That noise is so distracting. I don't like it. Oh no! I just turned on my noise. I just turned on my noise canceling, so at least I won't hear. If if the if the monster's coming, I won't hear it now. Um, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a Julie, sign. Thank you. It stars Julie Benz. She is from Dexter. But is she in Buffy and Angel? Because oh, I, I know don't this think name. So. I, didn't, I didn't see that. Dexter, Hawaii Five-O, and Rambo. That's what I picked up for her. <clears throat> let's see here oh yeah she's in jawbreaker she's in um buffy and angel 
I'm terrified, y'all. I can still hear it with my noise canceling. I'm like, I'm so scared. Okay. She was Darla. She was also in Roswell. Okay. Uh, Also started Eli Gabay. Yeah, Gabay. He plays Steve. Um, He's from The Edge, The Art of Racing in the Rain, Stargate. And then he just must play the dad in all of the Hallmark movies including Fashionably Yours, Love and Sunshine, and A Feeling of Home. Oh, well, there you go. Justine Warrington, she plays Tracy. She is from Dragged Across Concrete, Earth Lickers. (laughs) Pornhub or Lifetime. Uh, The Professor, um, The Cabin Movie, which actually, if you look at the poster, does look like a Pornhub or TV um, oh no! But she's also, uh, she's also been in Hallmark movies with Truly Madly Sweetly and The Garage Sale Mysteries, so she's versatile. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Roan Curtis, she plays Christina. Um, she is from The Magicians, Firefly Lane, Before I Fall, and The Good Doctor. Um, and These finally, are all Georgia project, Brad- like people from projects that I know. Georgia Bradner, she plays Jennifer. She was also in Supernatural. Um, she was in a movie called A Romance Wedding, which I swear is a real title and not something I just came up with by throwing darts at a wall. That's, a romance that's a Hallmark wedding. That, did Hallmark write it's this? Not a Hallmark. It definitely sounds like it. I think it was like an up TV, but still real bad. Okay. Okay. So we open and it already says based on true events and we open with a lady in a black wetsuit with a hood on conspicuously tiptoeing up a driveway to a house. So I'm already feeling a lot better about the comedic opportunities of this movie versus the last few that we've watched. I'm choosing to believe that as she tiptoes, it's like strings pizzicatoing, bum, 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 ba. Boom, 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 boom. And they have like cheesy <laughs> tiptoe music. Um, or like in the Hall of Mountain King. See, all I hear now when people tiptoe around is don't be suspicious. No, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> and don't be suspicious. Um, so she climbs over the bushes and walks through the backyard, like right past all the windows, which like, I get that it's nighttime and you're wearing black, but like, I don't know, duck? <laughs> I um, roll? Mission and then I wrote, maybe I should roll. stop giving advice to murderers. I don't know. <laughs> um, she goes into the bedroom, shoots a man, and then tiptoes out. And I was like, girl, why are you still tiptoeing? Like, that, like you just shot somebody. You can run <laughs> at this point, but like, you've already made the noise. Um... If I had a dollar for the every guy time thinks, I tiptoed, shot somebody, and then tiptoed away. The guy, thankfully, isn't dead and calls 911, telling him to hurry because he's in pain, which would be really great, except his voice is 100% deadpan. He's like, please hurry. I'm in pain. <laughs> All right. He's trying to be cool. Um, he's trying to be chill about it. So the paramedics come and they have to break into the house. As they do, two ladies run downstairs, his wife and daughter or stepdaughter, I think, asking what happened. And I'm sorry, did you miss the shotgun blast? Like, wh- Where were you? Um, 
the paramedic says that Steve has had a medical emergency and his wife is like, oh no, oh God, not my Steve. He's going to be all right, right? He's my whole life. And I have <laughs> so many questions right now. So we flash back to Celeste, the wife, and Steve when they meet. She is a restaurant um, worker and he's trying to get over his wife who just died. She tells him he should just go shopping. I mean, which yes, I didn't realize was I'm one of the stages this. of grief, but yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I guess they like each other though, so whatever. Um, Celeste goes to the bar and gets Steve another drink and tells the bartender all about how she's waiting for a shot at the better life. And that shot is Steve, so chop, chop on the drink. Um, when she goes back to the table, Steve asks her to dinner and she says yes, and then she just leaves her job. <clears throat> <laughs> like she like goes like and takes off her little vest and she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you ever read? Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Have you right. ever read Mindy Kaling's memoir? Um, Is everybody hanging out without me? Yeah. The scene where she like the the passage where she talks about getting in a fight with Greg Daniels and walking off set at the office where he's like, if you don't like it, you can just leave. So she does and she kicks his car in the process and she goes and gets a pedicure. And the woman who's doing her nails, my light just turned off again. The woman who's doing (laughs) the woman who's doing her nails is like, Oh, did you just get fired? And that's what it sets in that like her leaving meant that she was accepting being fired and she had the option to stay yeah so she she has to go back to work with her head hanging and she says she's just been in the bathroom for a long time crying like <laughs> i feel that in my soul <laughs> that's what i'm in so, the middle of right uh, now by the way that's the okay. book i'm in the middle of that's why it is so fresh to me you're talking about just walking oh, out of work oh there's the I connection. thought you were talking about you were in the middle of like getting fired from your job and I was like you already quit your job what are you talking about yeah well, I'm fighting with my boss with myself and I just we can't come to terms I mean that makes like sense. he won't yeah. get the fucking light fixed it keeps turning itself off motion okay oh, you've got to watch that video I sent you uh- I will um so Celeste goes home later and she's like hey, we're moving on up in the world. And her daughter is like, all excited. She's like, oh my God, did you get a promotion? And her mom was like, no. And her daughter's like, oh, did you get fired? And Celeste is like, no, you're just like your sister. You always think the worst of things. And then she offers to teach her about sex. <laughs> That's what yep. I do. When, when um, I want people to be distracted by whether or not I lost my job, I'm like, um, right now, my employment is not important. Important. Have you ever heard of a blowjob? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Celeste tells her she met a man, and things are going to get a lot different now because she has a plan. Um, Steve takes Celeste to his house and tells her he sold his TV station for like a shit ton of money, so now he has nothing to do and no one to spend money on but her. So cheers. And where? Where, where does she meet this guy? <laughs> Asking for a friend. Obviously. Um, um, so, yeah. Uh, 
she tells him that he should start by redecorating his house. And now I'm afraid. Um, please don't nouveau riche this house, girl. Um, he asks her to move in. So I fully expect this house will be covered in animal prints in like 30 seconds. So Celeste demurs though and says she's a respectable woman. So instead of moving in as his girlfriend, he offers to hire her as his house manager, in which I guess he will pay her but they will still date which is somehow preferable to her just moving in as his girlfriend for a reason yeah i don't know why this is confusing to you um so he gives them their own wing of the house and they move in celeste immediately goes shopping to buy herself and the girls new clothes and bags so they can look the part of like rich people I guess she gets a new car, too, because she's driving a Jag. Steve greets them, and they have dinner. They meet Steve's daughter, who is older than Celeste. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah. And Celeste tells her that... That's uncomfortable. Celeste tells her... Um, Becky, the daughter, asks Celeste about herself, and Celeste is like, well, I'm just here to take care of your father and the house, and that's all you need to know. And then she walks away, and I was like, whoa. Um... Later, Celeste and her girls are talking, and her younger daughter, Christine, figures out that Celeste is sleeping with Steve, and her older daughter, Jennifer, is like, duh, like, I've known this whole time. <laughs> Celeste starts referring to herself as the lady of the house, and I roll my eyes so hard, I can see my brain. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. girls... The girls talk about their mom and how at least this house is better than their apartment. And now their mom won't dump them in foster care again, which is, I'm confused because foster care is not a babysitting service. Um, no, it is The younger not. daughter asks her sister if she thinks her mom is going to marry Steve. And Jennifer says, with a house like this, she's damn sure going to try. Sure enough, we fast forward <laughs> nine months. Oh, no. And it's their wedding day. Steve also asks the girls if he can adopt them, which is, like, a very sweet and adorable moment. He gives them both, like, this really cute necklace. It's very sweet. Um, Steve's daughter, Becky, though, is embarrassed to be at the wedding and tells Steve she doesn't like or trust Celeste. Celeste comes over and tells Becky that she signed a prenup, so please stop calling her a gold digger. And then she calls Steve Big Daddy, so there's a lot to process. In this scene. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> ready for any of this. God bless you. Thank you. <clears throat> so back in the present, Celeste balls over Steve as they wheel him out of the house on a gurney. She begs the paramedics not to let anything happen to him. And then the detectives arrive and um, she tells them that she was asleep in her daughter's room because sometimes Steve snores. The lady detective finds a shell casing and tells him that they need to step out of the room because it's now a crime scene. And I, was it not a crime scene before the shell casing? Like, did they not realize he had a gunshot wound? Or if they'd never found the shell casing where they'd have been like, oh, it was really bad food poisoning. Like, real bad. Real bad. (laughs) I can't, I can't wait to tell you what happened in that room. I can't wait. Oh, God. The detectives talk to the daughters at the hospital, and then he has to speak to Celeste in private. He asks about their marriage, and she goes on and on about how happy they were and how much they love each other. Um, And we flash back to them fighting about money and how Celeste spends 
so much money and Steve won't give Celeste his life, late wife's jewelry. And she's like, well, I took it and had it appraised. And he was like, the fuck? Um, Steve says he's not sure how they're going to make <laughs> Why this work. Why would you work. do that? Yeah. Um, he tells her he's not sure how they're going to make it work. And so she goes off to the bedroom, calmly finds a gun, and then runs back into the living room, threatening to shoot herself. Her daughter, Christine, oh, okay. calls 911. And so Celeste goes to a very fancy schmancy hospital slash retreat to get better. In yeah. group therapy, she talks about her controlling husband, who's hard to deal with, and she makes a friend named Tracy. <clears throat> when she gets okay. home, Steve says he's sure they can work things out, and they decide to redecorate. Okay. Like you That's do. what I do when I'm working things out, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Celeste takes her new friend, Tracy, um, to get a manicure. Um, and then back in the present, in the hospital waiting room, Jennifer's boyfriend asks them if they've told the detectives about Tracy because Tracy is obsessed with Celeste and they need to say something. When the detective comes back over to talk to them, he tells them himself, so. Why, why ask anyone else to do it if you're just going to do it yourself, dude? Um, right. So um, they talk about Tracy and then the detectives go to see her. They start asking her questions about where she was during the shooting, whether she owns a 20-gauge shotgun or not. And so Tracy gets up, walks across the floor, and opens her gun cabinet, which has a 20-gauge shotgun in it. I am shocked at this development. I didn't mean, see that Texas. one coming at all yeah i that's right. true it is texas yeah. there's lots of guns here yeah they just um, give them to you when you turn 12 mm -hmm. so they take her to the station and she immediately admits admits to shooting steve saying she did it for celeste they ask if celeste knows about what happened and she insists that celeste had no idea the detectives go to the hospital to talk to Steve and start asking him yes or no questions about Tracy. They ask him if he knew Tracy um, and they're doing like the blink once for yes, twice for no, whatever. Um, and here comes Celeste to steamroll everyone screaming. Oh, he, they ask if, um, if Tracy was a friend of the family and she comes in and she's like, she was, I just, I can't believe she would do something like this as if she stole a five out of their wallet and didn't like try to kill him. <laughs> um, Celeste leans over and tells Steve he doesn't have to answer any questions and then she asks to speak to the detectives in the hallway where she tells them to please just let her husband recover and he, she will answer any questions they may have so they start asking her if she and was Tracy she Blanche Devereaux for the entire yes. movie yeah okay. great except she wasn't Blanche Devereaux because nobody is Blanche Devereaux. No, absolutely um, So she gets all defensive when they ask her if she's having an affair with Tracy and she runs them off and then she tells her daughter that they're vultures and they can just focus on healing as a family. <clears throat> but then her phone rings and it's Tracy. And I'm going to ask for the first time a question that I'm going to ask a lot over the next few minutes. How is wait. Tracy not in jail, y'all? <laughs> How is Tracy not in jail? <laughs> um, Celeste answers the phone and says she can't talk to her. And Tracy says she told the cops she did it because she loves her. And then she says, you love me too, don't you? And Celeste says nothing. 
she goes home and peels the crime tape <laughs> oh, off her topiaries. There's, there is no burn like that. Oh my god. Um, so she goes home and she takes the crime scene tape off of her topiaries. Like I so hate when um my topiaries are covered in crime scene tape and I have to like go fix them. Yes, it's the same. worst. And then I wrote, ha, this is an Austin in the paper. And this movie is called the Austin Tribune instead of the Austin Austin American Statesman, which just makes me laugh. (laughs) Um, Celeste reads the paper and gets all butthurt that they call her his former housekeeper. Um, And then he sends the girl, and then she sends the girls off to school. Then she calls Tracy and tells her to meet her in the hospital parking lot at six. They meet and Tracy starts going on about how Celeste said she would get rid of the shell casing and she did this all for Celeste to save her and like literally what the fuck now she's going to go to jail. Um, Celeste is like, you're, um, I'm worried about you. I got you a present. It's a diamond ring. Why isn't Tracy in jail right now? She shot this man and then they took her to the police station. She was like, yeah, I totally shot him. And then they're like, great. Have a nice day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't get it. Okay. Um, anyway. Yeah. Celeste tells her that she's going to fix everything and she has a plan. Um, and she meant to find the shell casing. Things just got really like crazy, you know, with the shooting and everything. So she promises Tracy she'll always take care of her. And again, why isn't Tracy in jail? Um, Celeste goes to see Steve and brings him some water and she starts talking about throwing him a birthday party and I was like girl like let's take several steps back Um, she lays it on real thick about how she's so worried that mean old Becky's just gonna take everything away from them if something happens to him like she has her trust but but you know Becky could take half the house and just sell it right out from under her and her her kids will have no place to live it'll be so terrible So he's like, well, I'll just call my lawyer right now, right now, and fix that right now. Yeah. From my hospital bed right now. Right. Right. Of course. Right. We flash back again to Celeste crying on the bed about how she has nothing to wear, even though literally all she has are new clothes with tags on them. She throws a fit and, and he says, like, maybe she should go back to the hospital retreat. So she sneaks into the bathroom and calls Tracy to arrange their rendezvous. In the mental hospital. Great. I have have questions. So many questions. Um, Celeste immediately starts whining about how Steve is so awful to her. And it's not like they can just get divorced. But for now, she and Tracy can just continue to have their hospital affair like this is the weirdest shit i've ever seen and then she takes off her shirt and tracy's giving her a massage and the nurse comes in and she's like you guys need to come to group therapy and it's never like hey what are y'all what are y'all doing (laughs) i'm so confused (laughs) i don't i don't know what's going on anymore i hope you do know what's going on because i have questions paul (laughs) So Celeste goes to get her nails done as you do when you're stressed out. Celeste's nail lady says that Tracy is probably just trying not to go back to jail. 
um, her phone starts ringing and, you know, she asked the nail girl to answer it. And it's the doctor saying that Steve had, has died. And I still have questions about this because they don't typically just be like, Hey, your husband did like, bye. <laughs> um, yes. Is this, is this, um, Celeste's nail girl? Um, yes. <laughs> um, her husband's dead. This is Dr. Johnson. Bye. So Celeste holds a news conference outside of her home. Tracy's at home watching um, Celeste as she calls Tracy disturbed. And I, why isn't Tracy in jail? <laughs> <I'm so good. laughs> Listen, this is why? a special jail where you get unlimited phone calls. No, she's not want, in jail. And she's then leave whenever you want. She Right. She got to stand in timeout for a while. She did her timeout. She's done. Tracy calls Celeste and leaves her a tearful voice message. The police are knocking on her door, presumably to finally take her to jail. Instead, they're like, hey, last time we were here, you made us brownies. Can we have that recipe? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tracy leaves Celeste one more message saying that she's done lying for her and then she gets arrested. And as soon as they take her to meet her court-appointed attorney, she's like, hey, by the way, this was all Celeste idea. <laughs> and her lawyers, her lawyers like, that's awesome, but we're gonna need like evidence because you've already said that it wasn't her idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so we flash back to them having a barbecue and Tracy and Celeste dancing in the living room very suggestively which is fine except it's in front of their kids and so that's super uncomfortable for me Um, (laughs) yeah yeah later steve tells celeste that he doesn't want her to be friends with um tracy anymore and Steve suggests they go on vacation to Europe. And so Celeste runs and tells Tracy that Steve's forcing her to go to Europe and then he's going to kill her because that totally makes sense. Tracy tells Celeste to leave him. (coughs) If you gave me RSV through the phone like you did food poisoning a few weeks ago, I'm going to kill you. Um, Well... That's to give. That's to pay you back for giving me COVID a year ago. You gave. You had COVID first. <laughs> I, I think. I think you were just hiding the symptoms so that I would go down first, and then you could claim that I w- went down first. You just powered through like you did when you had surgery. You just powered through until you finally could admit defeat. Oh God. This has gone so far off the <laughs> Okay. My fucking um, lights Tracy... don't work. I apparently transmit all diseases virtually. The wall is falling down. Aaron, what is today? <laughs> Tracy tells Celeste to leave him. And Celeste is like, he could take my girls. I'm totally trapped. And then she begs her for help. And so they decide to shoot Steve. <laughs> At home, Celeste is picking out caskets and talking about a bundle offer for the whole family. Her kids call her sick and morbid, and she tells them that they'll thank her when they're dead. 
I don't. I don't. I don't think that's think how that, so. That's not how that works. <laughs> um. So Becky comes to the funeral, and she and Celeste get into it. Becky calls her disgusting, and Celeste says, "Quote: I loved him. I still do. All ten million dollars of him." Uh, is that Aaron? Listen, I've never been in love with a man. Is that how women measure love in dollars? Because don't tell Dr. Sarah, nobody tell Dr. Sarah. I have 13 cents to my name that is not money she made. Nobody tell Dr. Sarah. I can very honestly say if that's how women measure love, I'm a really bad at being a woman because no. Uh, okay. okay, just just checking. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Celeste gets really wasted in the back of the limo on the way home from the funeral. And when she gets home, the police are waiting for her to arrest her for murder. Um, Celeste's lawyer shows up and tells them all to go to hell and starts asking Celeste if she was in a romantic relationship with Tracy. The detectives have a picture of Tracy kissing Celeste on the cheek. And if that's what makes you a lesbian, I guess I'm coming out of the closet today. Because I'm you coming out. Facebook, there are I'm about a hundred pictures of different know. women kissing me on the cheek. <laughs> um, he asks her about continuing to talk to Tracy after she shot Steve and tells her that she has to be honest. Celestia says the only thing she's guilty of is being nice to Tracy. He asks her if she married Steve for his money, and she responds, quote, Do you think he married me for my cooking? But then she says that their relationship was sometimes hard, but he was very loving to her and her daughters. So the lawyer says he's going to get Celeste out on bond until trial, but she has to behave. So she goes home, and only one of her daughters seems happy to see her. Celeste promises to take her shopping the next day, and then she goes into her bedroom and has a flashback of the shooting, so she takes what I assume is a Xanax. Her daughter comes in to ask her about how much the lawyer is going to cost and how they're going to afford all these things they're like buying. Um, and her mom says, you sound a lot like Steve. <laughs> um, Celeste goes to get another manicure, which like how many manicures can you get in one week? Um, she cries that she doesn't want to go to jail. And so her nail girl casually offers to have Tracy killed. Oh, real chill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen. Um, this is not Jennifer I, would Coolidge. Like, there is no bend and snap in this <laughs> in this episode. I'm very. Upset. Would you like um, gel or would you like dip? Would you like French manicure? Would you like uh, me to kill your um, crazy friend? Would you like um, natural or would you like? No, I said crazy friend. Oh no! Oh sorry, I said gel. Is that what you were familiar with? <laughs> Uh, Celeste goes home and passes out on the couch and Christine tries to get her to go to bed instead she suggests that they all kill themselves to be together forever and it would be perfect and I was like I'm sorry what um the next morning I got I started to get really worried that this was going to go the way of gone mom and she was going to die by suicide before she could go to trial Right. Thankfully, that did not happen. Um, no. 
The next morning, Christina says she really wants to help her, but maybe Celeste needs to get some help first um, because things are going to get really stressful. Um, Celeste is like, it's going to be fine. I'm definitely not going to jail, but maybe I should go back to the treatment center where I've been having an affair well, at, at a hospital. I'm so confused. <laughs> is this like Grey's Anatomy Patients Edition? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> So she goes back um, and as Christina is looking for the phone number to call them, she finds a check made out to Heather, the nail lady, for $10,000. So she goes to the nail salon looking for Heather and the girl at the salon is like, oh, Heather quit. She said she was moving. She said she hit the jackpot. She was leaving. I was like, girl, it was $10,000, not $10 million. Where the hell are you going? <laughs> right? Right. Especially because this is um, Austin. $10,000 is yeah. a month and a half of rent. Yeah. Literally, I was telling you the other day, I have a friend from high school that put their house on the market last week in Austin. This is a person I went to high school with. The house is on the market for $850,000. It's a townhouse. Oh my God. You didn't say that part. I sent you the listing. If you did, I didn't see it because I was going to nosily ask you for it. Oh, well, I'll find it and send it to you again. It's gorgeous. Oh man, I wish I had $850,000. Anyway, um... Christina goes to visit her mom and asks about the check that she wrote to Heather. And Celeste was like, it's a nail emergency. And then Christina's like, mom. And she tells her she needs to relax and she'll never find a boyfriend if she doesn't ever smile once in a while. Oh. And she's <laughs> like, Iggy on so many levels. Yeah. She was like, it was a loan. Um, not everyone is as fortunate as we are, Christina. So I loaned her some money because we have money. So Christina tells her that she went looking for Heather and Celeste screams at her for snooping around behind her back. Um, later, Celeste slips the nurse a $50, a $50 bill and leaves Heather a voicemail asking where she is and saying she better not be talking to the police about her. And I'm not sure what year this is supposed to be, but we all know how voicemail works, yes? No, please explain it to me. I'm just saying, like, if, if, you're, if you've hired someone to kill someone else or whatever, you should maybe not, like, call them and leave a voicemail. Like, hey, did you hire someone to kill that person yet? And also, I hope you're not talking to the police about me. Okay, bye. This is, this is, <laughs> hey, this girl, is Celeste, hey. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, girl, hey, this is Celeste. My number is... 404-555-4312. My mother's maiden name is. <laughs> My first dog was named Sparky. <laughs> I can't. Um, so Christina and Jennifer, her sister, are going through paperwork and find that Celeste took out $50,000 life insurance policies on each of them only a few weeks ago. <clears throat> Jennifer tells Christina that they're going to go stay somewhere else, like her boyfriend's apartment, because clearly it's not safe for them there. Um, Christina goes to see 
Tracy and they cry together about how stupid. Oh, oh yeah, she goes to see Tracy in jail and they cry together about how stupid they are and how Celeste convinced Tracy that Steve was abusive and now she and Steve and how she said Steve was going to force her to die by suicide. Tracy tells Tracy tells Christina she wishes she could prove it because it all sounds it all sounded so real to her, but now it's her word against Celeste. <clears throat> When Christina gets home, she turns on the phone and finds, like, a ton of messages from um, Celeste calling her a bitch. I mean, these messages would put um, Alec Baldwin to shame, if you remember oh, that whole good. thing. Great. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, they decide, she and her sister decide to record everything Celeste does from now on so that she can't lie to them anymore. So Jennifer and her boyfriend go to pick up Celeste and Jennifer records from the front seat as Celeste screams into the phone at Christina and tells him that she should just kill them all. Just super charming. Perfect. Yeah. Um, When they get to home, Jennifer asks Christina if she thinks that she could get Celeste to confess. So I guess this is what they're going to try to do, which seems really Mm. stupid. But Christina slips on a recorder and goes to talk to her mom. Um, I really don't see how this could possibly ever go wrong. Um, We see nothing of the conversation. Just see Jennifer and David come pick her up later. And Celeste takes a pill and then falls slash jumps off the stairs balcony. But don't worry, she's fine. She just wants a cast on her leg. Sure enough, she arrives in court with um, glasses and a cast on. Even her lawyer like leans over and is like, "Is that real?" I love no. it. Um, <laughs> so she's on trial for capital murder, which in Texas is like real. That's like real bad. It's real bad. Yeah, that's like death penalty shit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but Celeste's lawyer calls Tracy crazy, which kind of pisses me off. Um, Tracy takes the stand and says that she shot him because Celeste asked her to. And oh my God, they do the thing that I hate so much. They say blood splatter instead of blood spatter. It's S-P-A-T-T-E-R. It's spatter. Please do some research lifetime. Um, but they say that in reference to the reason she shot Steve in the, in the stomach because Celeste didn't want to mess up the paint on her walls Celeste lawyer tears Tracy apart but he can also go get fucked he makes Tracy read her own journal to the court um, but Tracy like rips him a new one right back she says like he calls her delusional and she says I was not delusional I was deluded by a person and um, so good for her I usually root for the murderer but in this case I support Tracy um at home, the kids are freaking out, thinking their mother's going to get away with it and trying to figure out what to do. And suddenly Christina stands up and says, quote, we have to go to the police. She said something. And I don't know if she just remembered this or if Christina has like just now decided they have to like talk to someone about it. But either way, okay. I love a good surprise witness. Um, <clears throat> sure enough, <clears throat> the next morning, Christina is called to the stand. Celeste is like, oh, fuck. And so she brings a tape and we flash back to when Christina went to visit Celeste. They argue over what um, 
Celeste ever did to hurt her kids. And she asked how they can abandon her like that. They're your kids. You're not their kids or different. Um, uh, Celeste says that the trial is trickier than she thought it would be. And Christina asks what she did. And she says the police arrested Heather and she doesn't know what Heather will say. Christina asks if it's about the check that she wrote. And Celeste says, quote, I wrote that check so that Heather would hire someone to kill Tracy. Like that's on tape. Oop. Oh my God. Oop. What an idiot. <laughs> Oop. Um, so we just fast forward to the closing argument. Celeste lawyer now refers to Tracy as a stray as in like an animal. And now I want to know who this guy is so that if he's a real person, I can personally ruin his career. Um, of course, Celeste is soups guilty. I mean, duh. She turns and screams at her kids about how they have betrayed her. Christina gives a statement at the sentencing, not in her mother's defense, like yikes on bikes. It's bad. Um, yeah. Becky tells Becky, um, Steve's daughter tells the girls how much their dad love, um, how much her dad loved them and how much she appreciates what they've done to help with the trial. And they all hug. And so the ending says, quote, Celeste Beard was sentenced to life in prison. She is eligible for parole in 2042. Tracy Tarleton was sentenced to 20 years, reduced to 10 for her testimony against Celeste Beard. She was released in 2011. Christina and Jennifer Beard refuse to have anything to do with their mother. Celeste still maintains her innocence. The Great. end. <clears throat> Great. That shit is wild. All right. Well, Aaron, I would just like yeah. to say one sentence to you. Oh, boy insatiable greed a lesbian love triangle betrayal and murder that just seems this like a lot of how, words not a, not a sentence <laughs> this is how the very first episode ever of snapped introduces celeste beard johnson and man no! was I already intrigued yes the series premiere was about this case that is awesome right so um you know i love any opportunity i can to watch snapped or any of those shows um so um just a little bit about snapped the for this episode of snapped first aired august 6th 2004 um and it was the episode that would set the tone for the rest of the series Currently, there are 510 episodes and 29 seasons. Yes. So there's a whole lot of snapped. I find snapped a little bit problematic um, yes. in some of the ways that they portray. So I don't really watch the show. Yes. But I, I mean, I might have to go catch the series premiere because this sounds mm. interesting. I think it might be one of those shows that got away from its original premise. Um, it but did. if you watch so, some of the later, some of the newer ones are really cringy to watch my biggest problem with snapped is that they tend to paint a picture of hysterical women like that's the picture they try to settle on of women all the time um instead <laughs> yeah. of instead of a battered woman you know like 
like instead of battered spouse syndrome or any battered battered partner syndrome or anything like that, it's a woman in hysterics, and I just don't like that mm-hmm. connotation. Um, mm-hmm. However, the first three or four episodes are a lot more solidly aligned with the idea of um, either women who were luring people toward murder or women who were battered like they don't set up they don't set up hysterics a whole lot in the first four or five seasons so yeah born in 1963 in california celeste's biological parents are actually unknown um she did meet her biological mother only once and was told quote i'm not your mother i was just your incubator um so, and then she yeah and she Whoa. claimed that her adoptive father Edwin Johnson abused her as a child and that she attempted um and then it was reported that she attempted suicide as a young teenager um so she had a rough childhood if uh, like according to these r- early reports at age Lots 17 of people have rough childhoods though doesn't mean I know I'm not excusing behavior. I'm just reporting. I know, you know, I'm just saying, I just, I feel like I have to repeat it. Cause I feel like sometimes when we get into this, it's like, Oh, he had a terrible childhood and that's why he became a murderer. Why she be, and I have to be like, wait, no. <laughs> right. Right. I had a terrible childhood. Never killed anyone. Thank you. Right. Um, so, um, at age 17, Celeste became pregnant and gave birth to two twins, Jennifer and Christina. And, you know, I tell you all the time, I usually keep the children's names out of it, but because they are actually big players in this story, um, they, are. they, they, their names are in this story. Um, so she also married their father, Craig Bratcher who was an abusive alcoholic. He actually, in 1996, died by suicide after being arrested for assaulting his second wife and her children. Um, so just a lot of pain, especially in Jennifer and Christina's lives. Like, I will especially say these two girls were victims of horrible circumstances for sure. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so when Jennifer and Christina were seven years old, Celeste left Craig as well as the girls, but said that she'd get custody of them one day. Um, so Dr. Helen Smith, who was the forensic psychologist interviewed in this episode said that Celeste saw this as kind of a mission. She had this vision of leaving and finding somebody with money and power who would want to help her get her children back. Um, and I always find these profiles kind of interesting that the psychologists build on these shows. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1993, Celeste took a job at the Austin Country Club, um, which was a place where she would inevitably run into a lot of men with money and power. So Aaron, if you are looking for um, a man with a lot of money, uh, maybe go be a cocktail waitress at the Austin Country Club. Um <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and they said immediately the you know, rich here's older the thing. guys. When you say the Austin Country Club, I just think of the San Antonio Country Club, which is where I grew up and went to Cotillion right. and was at like every weekend. And I don't want to marry any of the old guys that were there. Right. So I'm good, thanks. <laughs> um. So, uh. 
at... Oh, they said that pretty immediately these rich old guys took notice of Celeste, Stephen Beard being chief among them. He was a self-made multimillionaire whose wife of 50 years had recently died after a battle with brain cancer. Um, and just before his wife died, he'd questioned his friends saying things like, what am I going to do? Who's going to take care of me? And Celeste was more Aww. than ready to fill that role. Except definitely not. You weren't looking at the face I made. <clears throat> On the outside, despite the age difference, Steve and Christy, uh, Steve and Celeste, I don't know where Christina came from. Steve and Celeste seemed like a perfect match. He was charmed by her and he wanted to spend all of his time with her. But he also worried how it would look if he moved on so quickly after his wife's death and especially to somebody so much younger than him. So mm -hmm. he invited her to move into his mansion with him in secret under the guise of a live-in housekeeper. Um, and Becky Beard, who is Steve's daughter, was interviewed, and she said that it actually took a while for her to find out that her father and Celeste were more than just... And then she said... <laughs> I had to get her quote. That they were more oh, than just housekeeper and you know <laughs> and I'm like oh boss you never disappoint <laughs> they were more than just housekeeper well I'm just confused about the placement of her words because it should have been like they were more like are you afraid of the word boss Becky I, <laughs> I was like employer employee it's, like i i don't understand your hesitation i mean go off i get yours you got totally fucked in this situation so do what you want but i'm confused right. it's an it's a wording choice that definitely tries to pull her dad out of out of any culpability in this situation yeah by by just removing him from the sentence but it's just the way she said it like that was like boss was the like naughty word like i i yeah, exactly what, what i picked like, up on <laughs> it's not like she was no, talking about totally pretty right. woman and it's she's a, like julia roberts was a you know like that's where we would put that you know right <laughs> it's interesting though i didn't realize until you said it that she's trying to like distance her father from the decisions that he made which is part of my problem with the show snapped is that they they like you said it's all about the femme fatale and these like, like how women just like walk into men's lives and just ruin them like we just like have put a spell on you and you're just helpless like no, no. right <clears throat> right <laughs> Um, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> so she said that when she first realized was during the 1993 Super Bowl, when she called the hotel where Steve was staying to talk to him and Celeste answered the phone. And that's when Becky began to put two and two together. So mm. after this, their relationship became public and Steven began treating Celeste like royalty he took her to expensive restaurants and bought her fancy clothes and jewelry. And she had that ideal May, December relationship with this rich old dude. I think we've all dreamed of this kind of relationship when we're like fucking tired of working to support ourselves. And I get it. Listen, totally. Oh yeah. I have had yeah. this dream. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. We all have. So for the first, for the first time in her life, Celeste was financially comfortable in a way that she probably never dreamed she would be. 
And so she talked to Steve about her daughter, about the daughters that she'd left behind when she ran away from her abusive relationship. And then here it flashed to a family photo of Steve and Celeste and the twins. And let me tell you, one of those girls did not want to be in that picture. She was making the most sour face and I loved it. Like, well, if like three if of them were making true look- to the, if it's true to the movie, it's Jennifer. <laughs> Probably. I, I assume it. I assume it is. In fact, a lot of this movie, it sounds like it was based on this snapped episode. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. So on February 8th, 1995, Steve and Celeste got married. Becky, Steve's daughter, said that she went to the wedding to support and show love for her father, but she vowed not to speak to Celeste at all. And Steve's friends apparently felt the same way. And this was a quote from one of... um, from I think this is one of his friends. I missed the like little name thing that popped up on her where Steve saw new love of it, the new love of his life. No, sorry. This was not later is where I didn't know if it was a friend or not. This was the like narrator lady. When Steve saw the new life of her, the new love of his life, they saw a heartless gold digger. And then this guy was one of Steve's friends. And I just had to get this quote <clears throat> I could just tell with Celeste. I just looked at her and it looked like her eyes were dollar signs in the whites of her eyes. And like this guy, I think was just afraid of poor people, but what do I know? In the white, (laughs) in the whites of her eyes? (laughs) Just just aesthetically, wouldn't the dollar signs like go in the middle? The whites of your eyes are touched. Well, yeah. So she keeps on there as a secret. There. They're the secret dollar signs that that that's her wolf in sheep's clothing situation as she hides her dollar signs under her eyelids. So that only this one friend who's afraid know. of poor people can see my eyes are green and my dad says those are my <laughs> secret dollar signs. So I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize that all women have secret dollar signs. Oh, it's who just knew? me. Cause he, he thinks I'm poor. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Uh, that's not entirely, like, I wouldn't be poor if my life were normal, but here we are. (laughs) It then cut to a bunch of Steve's friends talking shit about Celeste, and I am here for the tea. One of them, and this is the one I couldn't tell if it was a friend, or it might have been somebody who um, was writing a book, because I know there was somebody interviewed about writing a book, anyway, but this woman said, Celeste would buy a new Cadillac the way I would buy a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup on the way out the store. And I'm like, I don't, how often do you buy Reese's? I need to know. For no, I, just, I, I have another, I feel very important question. Okay. When's the last time you saw a Cadillac? Regularly. Okay. There's a big Cadillac dealership like, here in Shreveport. Okay. And- yeah, there's a big, there's big Cadillac dealerships everywhere. What I'm saying is, if you were like, I have a bazillion dollars, and I'm going to buy a new car like I buy a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, would it be a Cadillac? No. Okay, thank you. If if That's I'm all. buying myself tons of cars, it's an Audi, but... Yes, me too. I have very particular tastes. Um, so then the, the I don't like poor people friends Mine's said, an Audi what? or... Mine's an Audi or like vin- like old vintage. Car. I love old vintage, old yeah, vintage cars. Absolutely, that would be my gem. 
So the, the I don't like poor people friend said, I walked into Celeste's closet and there was a thousand pairs of shoes, maybe 800. It was unbelievable. Nelvin Marcus didn't have anything on Celeste. Somebody, <laughs> y'all, <laughs> y'all, somebody call Nelvin and check on his shoes. He's apparently missing some and Steve is very worried about it. What is Nelvin Marcus? Did he mean Neiman Marcus? <laughs> he had, she had a thousand pairs of shoes, maybe 800. That is crazy. <laughs> fucking mathematical sense. Do you remember earlier tonight when I said something about geography and you said, I'm not good at geometry? Good at geometry, yes. <laughs> Is Nelvin Marcus a is Nelvin Marcus a place that I don't know, or was he trying to say Neiman Marcus? It's the Neiman Marcus outlet store. Um, it's but it's super <laughs> super super exclusive. You have to have a private yeah. invitation to get it. <laughs> and dollar signs in the whites of your eyes. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> yes. But um, sorry. So yeah, Nelvin Marcus didn't have anything on Celeste. So shopping became an addiction for Celeste. In an interview that they played clips of on the show, she said that it'd become a new vice for her, a way to deal with her depression and, and anxiety. And I am definitely a depression shopper. So like, I got that. I felt that way down deep. I've been there. Because Dang. during lockdown last year, I spent way yeah. too much money. I spent so much money, I started a new business with the shit that I bought, so I had an excuse to have bought it. As someone who is currently purging an apartment so that they can move, I bought a lot of useless shit last year. Just (laughs) so much of it. Now I go on AliExpress and load up my cart and then just delete it all. And Mm -hmm. that's how I deal with it. Um, yes, I've decided in my new place I'm going to be a minimalist after I get it fully decorated to exactly how I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mo- modernist. Moderatist. Yes. Mo- moderatist. Yes, that's it. I'm, we're going to make this word. That's we're going to workshop this word until it makes sense. Okay. Let's do um, it. So. The forensic psychologist also explained that shopping is also a way to not feel alone. Um, Basically, and this is true, like this is something that my therapist explained to me one time was that when people are like looking for community, they turn to places like, of course he didn't say shopping malls because they're not big social places anymore, but they turn to places like shopping malls where there are a lot of people so you can slip into the crowd. And when you're feeling incredibly lonely, you're at least surrounded by people. I guess that makes Um, sense. So Celeste's spending went out of control. And so when this happens, Steve threatened a divorce. And I saw on Wikipedia, they had some numbers from October. I'm going to pull up these numbers from Wikipedia because I meant to copy and paste them. Um, Because I just was like, holy moly. Um, Oh, come back. In a span of two months, she had spent three hundred and twenty-one thousand dollars. 
And then listen, if I had the money to spend, I could spend $321,000 today. Right. Same. Um, and I mean, obviously, so, like, to, to say, like, it wouldn't be on, like, frivolous shit. It would be on, like, paying off debt and shit. But I could spend $321,000. It's 1027 in the evening. I could spend it before midnight. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, he, um, so her husband had, he had owned a, um, TV channel, like a TV station that was bought by a yes. Fox affiliate. And he yeah. made $15 million on that sale. Um, not yes, Fox News, but like Fox back money. when Fox yeah. had the entertainment, like. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. Know, so before it was guys, like yeah. the WB and then the the CW, whatever. I don't even know. Yeah. Back when like the Simpsons but was no. on Fox and, you know, they're still on Fox, right? Yeah, because. Like, yeah, they're still on Fox. Yeah. Fox still has a... Uh, I don't know how closely related that all is. It doesn't make any sense to me, so... It doesn't to me either. But, um, yeah. So, like, it became one of those, like, local affiliates of the Fox channel that, like, Bones would come on or, you know... Sure. New Girl was a Fox show. You know, something like that. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. So, and then, like, between October... And December 10th, she spent like $450,000. So it was a sizable chunk that she was spending. Um, so when he confronted her about this, he said, you either get your money under control, like you're spending under control, or I'm filing for divorce. So she countered by threatening suicide. Um, and this threat sure. led yeah, her sure. to being hospitalized for suicidal ideations. Um, Y'all, this is that's <laughs> stupid. Don't do that. No. And then, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. What I laughed at is that I changed her husband's name in the middle of this sentence. Two? I wrote, David. Were you thinking about someone named David? David Beckham? David. I'm always thinking about David Beckham, let's be honest. Spade? David. I'm trying to think of it. Like, I don't even know that many famous Davids. (laughs) I don't either. Um, anyway, so Stephen, also known as David, I guess, hoped that this hospitalization would help her with her shopping addiction, um, and also helped resolve some of their marital issues. Um, and it, it did because while Celeste was hospitalized, she made a new friend named Tracy Tarleton. And then in her interview, Celeste said, I felt a kinship with her. I could talk to her and not feel bad or feel like someone, somebody wouldn't understand what I was talking about. Um, She said that um, basically she was seeking a community and she'd found it with Tracy. Um, So, but what had been seen as a friendship for Celeste according to Snapped, had been interpreted as something much more by Tracy. Um, The ADA on the case said that Tracy had made it known from the start that she was a lesbian and that she apparently had believed that Celeste had feelings for her as well. Um, But regardless of the details of their relationship within the hospital, the bond between them seemed to help 
both Celeste and Tracy and they both, and they remained close friends even after being discharged from the hospital. They'd go shopping together. They'd meet up for meals. You know, they'd have lunch and dinner together. Um, And in the spring of 1999, it seemed like Celeste's life was back on track. She was back with her husband. She had this new best friend. She was thriving. Quote, but as it turned out, the two women were sharing a shocking secret. One that had nothing to do with a lesbian affair and everything to do with murder. Snapped said just before a commercial break. Okay. Um, and so when it came back, it said they said that rumors began to fly around town that the women had been seen on more than one occasion kissing passionately because we love homophobia here. Um, we do. Yep. So Celeste family, though, was also made more stable by Tracy's presence because it seemed like things were better between her and Steven. So like nobody really knew what to believe. Not that really any of this was anybody's business. Um, she helped. Crazy she how that works. Celeste to right. She even helped Celeste to stop her shopping habit, um, and she had somebody to confide in. So it all seemed like a healthy enough relationship until she dressed in a black <laughs> jumpsuit and tiptoed through open window, like through wide open windows. Um, on October 2nd, 1999 at 2.57 a.m., 911 received a strange call in which Steve Beard requested an ambulance, following it up with the horrifying sentence, my guts just came out of my stomach. Um, well, that's... And let... Let me tell you. Very graphic, sir. I'm going to have to tell you to tone it down on this 911 call. (laughs) We are going to play this for children on the (laughs) news, sir. Can you please just keep it PG? Thank you. Right? Uh, I was eating a stuffed bell pepper for lunch as I watched this and typed these notes. And this is a better dieting plan than anything else I've tried because that sentence will forever live rent-free in my head and I could not finish that stuffed bell pepper after hearing those words because they played the actual fucking audio with no warning. Like, it's not like they gave a heads up that it was going to be the real 911. We were just like, and here it is. Uh, by the way, it was a deadpan phone call. Like they got that right. Nine one one. What is he was like? I'm in so much pain. And I was like, dude, do you know what I sound like when I'm in pain? No, but literally, he said, "I'm going to need an ambulance out here." And they said, um, "Sir, we need." And then they were tra- in the middle of saying, "We need you to describe your emergency." And in the middle of them talking, he just cut them cut them off and said, "My guts just came out of my stomach." But it was like just very like flat, and I'm like, I don't know that I would have. I don't know how I would have said it, but I feel like it would not have been like that. So Sergeant Greg Truitt responded to this call. And he said mm-hmm. that when he arrived, Steve Beard was holding his hand over his stomach and you could see intestines between his fingers. Truett assumed Great. that, and this is a, this is a quote from this man, because he was a large man, he'd probably popped a couple stitches. And Aaron, I have a question for you. Yes. I'm a big guy. I own a mirror and a scale yes. and neither of those things are my friend right now. But mm-hmm. like, I 
I didn't get a requisite big guy seam. Is that is that a thing? Like, do I need to go to a tailor oh, for you some have to stitching? Go, you have to go to Nelvin. You have to go to Nelvin Marcus for that. <laughs> I just get one like big seam down the middle of my stomach, so that when I call nine one one, they can just assume I popped a stitch. So. Yeah, you were like, like we were like, so they did what it's called fashion, Paul. Look it up. <laughs> God damn. I can't teach you everything. <laughs> okay. Can you teach me one thing? You fold in the cheese. <laughs> um, Hold on. I got to switch. Yeah. I got to switch headphones. Cause once again, we, we run the battery out on my headphones exceeded the limit okay yeah so that's like whenever you asked why they didn't think it was a crime scene at first that's because apparently he popped his nelvin marcus stitch is what they thought and so not that he'd been shot because everyone just has intestines that appear on the wrong side of their body but did he not wake up like when the gunshot went off and then like was not able to tell them hey someone shot me that's why my guts are falling out i think by the time they got there he was in critical condition and was not like super responsive from what i'd gathered um i think he used like basically the last of his strength to make the 911 call so okay i just instead before we move forward i just want to like i'm gonna reenact what it would be if i was using the last of my strength to call 911 after being shot. <laughs> Not popping so a stitch. To, I'm gonna need you to, to be the 911. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I'm getting in character. Okay. 911, what is your emergency? I've been shot! I've been shot! I've been shot! <laughs> ma'am, I'm ma'am. Ma'am, I'm sorry. Um, that is that is too much right now. I need you to die. They shot me! I've been shot! I've been shot! Somebody ma'am, shot me! Somebody ma'am, shot me! Ma'am, ma'am, if you're going to be hysterical, I, I'm, you're going to have to call back later. <laughs> End scene. <laughs> I am telling you, that would be the first fucking thing out of my mouth. I have been shot. Because first of all, I would be just as shocked as everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) Instead, Greg Truitt got the surprise of his life when the other officers he brought along with him found a shotgun shell. And all of a sudden he was like, wait, you mean this man wasn't sewn together like a rag doll? My whole life. I have to play the music. I have to play the music. Y'all. There is a man with a gaping hole in his body, and no one hypothesized that he had possibly been shot. So they had him airlifted. It wasn't to the even that big of a shotgun. Surgery. It was a 20 gauge shotgun. It's not like they blew him apart with a 10 gauge. My God. Right. Get your shit together. Um so 
He is air flighted to the hospital and police began investigating the scene of the incident. Um, they decided that it didn't appear to be a burglary, even though like everything had kind of been pushed around and like paper strewn about and stuff. Like it looked like a stage burglary. Um, and as they searched the mansion, they found Celeste asleep in another wing of the house and woke her to tell her the news of what happened to her husband. And she began Aww. screaming kind of over the top. Don't let him die. Don't let him die. So oh. have uh, you, uh, yes. well, okay. I'm going to ask you, even though I know the answer to your question, because you live in the South. Have you ever heard a gun go off? No, never. Yes, I, I have shot. I have gone shooting for fun. That yes, target's not. I have too. I have shot like a animals. gun. No, uh, I have shot a. I have shot many guns, more than one gun. Um, it's not quiet. It's not like no. oh, I was asleep on the. I don't care how big your house is. It wasn't a, like oh, I was sleeping on the other side of the house. I didn't hear anything. That's not it. Right. God. <clears throat> okay. It also makes me think of the um, the memes that go around every Fourth of July. That's like yes. very obviously white suburbia, um, and it's like, oh my god, was that fireworks or gunshots? <laughs> gunshots echo, and fireworks don't. That's how you know the difference. So, yeah. PSA. So, that's true. Um, that's really that really is true. Google it. It's true. Um, gunshots yes. echo. Fireworks do not. <laughs> so after tell me you live in the south without uh, telling me you live in the south. <laughs> right. So after she stopped screaming, don't let him die, don't let him die, the cops interviewed her, and the first person she could think of that might be a person of interest was her friend Tracy um Tarleton, which like I just here's my question, Aaron. Let's say mm -hmm. somebody in your life has been shot and they're like, can you think of somebody who might shoot this person whom you love dearly? Is mm -hmm. my name the one that's going to come tumbling out of your mouth? Cause you're not on my yeah. list of suspects and I just don't know. Am I doing friendship wrong or like, okay. Wait. Okay. Hold on. I'm sorry. Ask me that again. Cause I think I heard it wrong. So let's say somebody you love very dearly has been shot. Sure. And the police are like, who do you think might have done this? Am I the person oh. you're going to say did it? Because oh, okay. you're thought, not the person I'm going to say. I thought you were so asking me. I just didn't know if I was doing I friendship would, if, wrong. I thought you were asking me if you were the person that you would, that like you would ask to do it for you. Oh, yeah. No, I 100% would do it for you. I mean, yeah. Well, I know. Okay. I would never you would do it for me. <laughs> you would do it for me. I wouldn't do it for you because I love your wife, and there's right. a difference. But I know, I know you would do it for me. We've we've never talked. To, we've never talked about. We've never <laughs> talked about that. <laughs> so yeah, never mind. I. I digress. Keep going. Tell me the rest of the story. Um, so yeah, she's like. They're like, do you know anybody who might shoot your husband? And she's like, well, I have this friend named Tracy. And Tracy and I eat lunch together. So she might do it. Like, 
I just don't, I want to have been in on that police interview where she's like yeah. logic, logicking this, that her best friend would have shot her husband, you know? <clears throat> so, I mean, police. Here's the thing. I'm a Southern woman. So if I wanted to theoretically disappear one of my friend's husbands or boyfriend, to, to unalive them. Maybe. <laughs> A, they'd be on it a hundred percent. They would know. They <laughs> they would know. But B, neither of us would ever be sitting in a police station because I'm a southern woman. I know people with wells right. and that people that have hogs and you know acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of land, and nobody will ever find you. We've got to stop saying stuff like this. It's going to incriminate. <laughs> We have never talked about disappearing any of my exes on this show. Friends. Or privately, um, ever. Or no, friends. I would just like to say. Or friends, husbands, wives, etc. Ever. Even if we one day had discussed it, which we hadn't, we are no. both too lazy to actually go through with any of these plans. So this is the don't truth, look at yes. us. Here's um, the thing. Anyway, the day, I do know people with wells and hogs and acres and acres and acres of land. But do you know how many phone calls I would have to make in order to make that a reality? And I just don't have the spoons to make that many phone calls. <laughs> right? Because that's not a texting. You have to call somebody. Yeah, you have to from, call. From like a pay phone. Where do you even find a pay phone? Well, no, I would, well, what I would do is just call my mom and have them call, like, I, it, there's a whole net, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a <laughs> network, but, but still, it's, we are it's, so it's, far a, far it's a lot of phone calls, it's a lot of phone calls to make, it's a lot of people to talk to, and you know what, at the end of the day, since I'm unmarried, it's a lot of people that I will have to invite to my wedding someday, and that's just not anything I want to be involved with. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. You have so, to invite your cousin Sally because remember that one time she helped you had a body? <laughs> Fucking Sally. God damn it, Mom. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Should probably make so, her a bridesmaid, too. Jesus. Oh, God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine every time your mom wants to passive aggress you for the rest of your life? Well, I wanted you to come over for dinner tonight, but I guess you're too busy remembering that I helped you hide a body. Oh, so much work. <laughs> too much so emotional labor for not very much. Let me tell you that. It's just not worth so it at the end of the day. As much as I might want to, as much as I might want to disappear someone, it's just, it's not worth the family interaction. I'm telling you. <laughs> When Celeste turned over the name Tracy, police basically went and immediately interviewed Tracy. They went to her home and asked if she had a shotgun, and she just she was walked like, "I to did her it. It was me. Cabinet. I did it." She yeah, she just walked to her gun cabinet and pulled out the shotgun and brought it to them, and they tested it, and it was the weapon used in the attempted murder. So Tracy guess, was arrested. I want to reclarify for people that aren't from Texas. Everyone has a gun here. <laughs> so when the police come they to your house, I actually, I actually 
I actually don't own a gun and I'm the minority. Yeah. But when the police come to your house and they're like, oh, do you own such and such kind of gun? And you're like, oh, no, of course not, officer. They're going to look at you and be like, right. But do you, though? Because we see, I'm like, I, I can just imagine the officer, like, I can see one, two, three gun cabinets with my naked eye without even moving my way into your home. So if you own that kind of gun, you're going to need to show it to me. Right. Right now. So. <laughs> So Tracy was arrested and investigators pretty quickly decided that that had all been a little too easy. What what was Tracy hiding? Why would Tracy Tarleton want to kill Steve Beard? Um, Tracy refused to talk despite police feeling that there was an accomplice in the crime. So police held her on charges of felony injury to an elderly person. So was she in jail? Yes. Yes. She she actually did go to jail. Okay. I know the movie, this is where the movie, um, the movie kind of deviated from the information I could find at least at this point of the story. And this is the part of the movie that I did not understand because it was like, okay, they bring her to the police station and she's like, I totally shot this guy. I did it. I tried to kill him. It was me. It was all me. Nobody helped me. It was just me. I shot him with my gun and they were like, Thank you for your honesty. Go get lunch. Ha- have a have a nice day. <laughs> they give her a Dairy Queen what? coupon for a free Dilly Bar, like because you cooperated. Oh shit! I would kill oh. for a Dilly Bar right now, for real though. <laughs> not, ki- but not really kill. We don't mean like Tracy uh, Tarleton kill. Right. <laughs> So if you've never eaten February, a Dilly Bar from Dairy Queen, just stop everything you're doing right now. Go to Dairy Queen and get one. It's going to change your life, I promise. Oh, so good. It's been so long since I've had one. Me so too. On, <sighs> on February 17th of that year, Steve was released from the hospital where he was cared for at home by Celeste. She attended to him dutifully, cleaning his wound every sure. hour on the hour. She kept visitors to a minimum while she did actually change his wound dressings every hour on the hour and attend to him dutifully. She did do that much. Um, she kept visitors to a minimum and hired an attorney to deal with the police. You're so not at home. Yes. I need you, you to page Dr. Sarah. Dr. Sarah. You're not Sarah. at home. <laughs> oh, sorry. Every hour? That seems like a lot. For a gunshot wound well, that's very sensitive. Well, so now he'd been in the hospital for like three months. This Ew. thing happened in October, October, November, December, January, February, for almost five months. Sorry. Um, and so um, he came home and um, less than a week after coming home, he died of a staph infection in his gunshot wound. Yes. Uh, the Goog says two times a day. Mm, um, it with was every clean hour. Clean water. Hour for her. <clears throat> he it, okay. Goog says two times a do, two times a do, two times a day with clean water, no hydrogen peroxide, and no alcohol because that can slow healing. And you might want to cover the wound with a thin layer of petroleum jelly and a nonstick bandage so that 
you can avoid infection. And so I'm going to just say that apropos of nothing, this was her fault. Okay. So, um, like I said, Thank he you. died of staph infection. And his friends oh. said he looked so healthy and full of energy during his last week in the hospital. So it was a shock to them that he had died. Um, and for Tracy, that meant that these charges would change from felony injury of the elderly to first degree murder. But she still refused for, okay. to give up any information. So Celeste was eventually charged with capital with capital murder. Yes. Okay. But because when they arrested her in the movie, Tracy in the movie, they said, Hey, you can get the death penalty. Well, in Texas, you can't get the death penalty for first degree murder. You can only get the death penalty for capital murder. Right. Okay. So they just, um, it's just another okay. like, deviation from the. Okay. Yes. I just wanted to be um, clear that like, she was not actually charged with capital murder. Yeah. In fact, at this point, they were able to get, and this is a very interesting law in Louisiana too, um, because in Louisiana, even the premeditation is not first degree, because in most states, the premeditation is what makes it first degree. But in Louisiana, it has to coincide with another crime. And so the premeditation yes. only takes you to second degree. And so since he was over 65, it would push it into first degree because it was premeditated and he was elderly. Um, and so um, that's so what in Texas you have to okay for capital murder to be on the table in Texas you have to commit I believe it has to be a premeditated murder and then you also have to commit it while in commission of another class A felony for it to qualify yeah, so that's, that's like it's like that trifecta that that qualifies it for capital murder which then puts the death penalty on the table like texas loves to kill you but we have a lot of like conditions first at at this point they were not willing to pursue capital murder on tracy because they weren't sure that they could prove um premeditation on her well do you think it was maybe like a good faith like we know there's something else that's what like like a bargaining chip that's why we didn't charge you so, with capital murder is because we know yes so okay. yes so they did use that a lot as a bargaining chip they also knew of her history in the um psychiatric hospital and they were afraid that that oh, going yeah. for capital murder would have just completely disqualified an entire case if anybody tried to approach capital murder because of the a good defense, like a defense effect? attorney was uh-huh so um so anyway even though her charges were upgraded from felony injury to the to the first degree murder charge she was she still refused to give up any information <clears throat> um she was questioned for hours on end and her answers were like open-ended. They were very ambiguous. They gave nothing. Um, and so while Tracy was in jail being questioned as to her accomplice in the murder, Celeste was out on the town meeting eligible young bachelors and charming her way through the town once more. And within five months of Stephen's death, she was remarried to a young, handsome bartender. Okay. Now Celeste was back on top once more with an inheritance of millions of dollars, a hot younger husband, and daughters who loved her. She was living this enviable life. 
so enviable, in fact, that it was written about in the local newspaper. The same local newspaper where Tracy Tarleton happened to read about her new marriage from behind bars. And this news incensed Tracy. She realized that she had been duped. Um, She said in later questioning that she realized in that moment that she identified with Stephen Beard. He was dead and she'd been the one who pulled the trigger, yes. But he had not been the only victim of Celeste's manipulation. After months of silence, Tracy broke. According to her, Stephen and Celeste's relationship was not based on true love. This is the first thing she admitted to. She claimed that Celeste and Steve had, quote, a sexual schedule in place and that Celeste used that schedule as her bargaining tool. She said that they both knew they had roles to fulfill and they knew how to fulfill them. And if I had to hear this, you did too. Quote, there was Saturday suck day. Steve said Celeste gave him the best oral sex he'd ever had in his life. And um, can you hold on a minute? Because I'm just adding this to my bullet journal. I didn't realize that was an option for my weekly spreads, but I need to add Sunday suck day to my um, calendar because apparently it's a thing now. You know, you know what? When you get home, will you just will you just let Sarah know that if she needs me to reach out to some family members on her behalf, I will take that bullet for her in particular for no apparent reason whatsoever. Do you see that I am as red as a pineapple right now? <laughs> red as a pineapple! <laughs> Y'all have to subscribe to our Patreon. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so, so Celeste also had this foolproof way to make sure that Steve was asleep by 8 o'clock every night. And I was like, girl, hook me up with some secrets because I need to yeah, know. Yeah. Like, Wait, how do I make sure that I'm asleep at 8 o'clock every night? I, I got apparently, snow. <laughs> apparently Steve drank um, a some kind of vodka drink every night, but she substituted with the vodka for Everclear and then mixed Jesus that Christ. with nightly pills. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, never mind. Never mind. Cancel that. Cancel that okay. secret. I... My college roommate and I, when we were 18, I am almost certain I've told this story before on this show. We went and got Everclear. And by went and got, we had someone buy it for us because we were not of age. Right. And we were going to drink it because, you know, we were in college. But we decided first to see if all the rumors were true that if you set it on fire, it's very flammable, which we did it. In our dorm room. <laughs> yes. And that is my experience with Everclear. Um, there's not a... I will do a lot of dumb shit in my life. I will have a glass of wine before I, you know, take an uh, anxiety pill and go to bed. I would never mix... I wouldn't even mix Everclear with fucking Tylenol. Right. 
No way. Oh my god. Oh, no. I'm not trying to die. <clears throat> and then Snap said, quote, if what Tracy was claiming was true, it would certainly make Celeste a manipulative bitch, but that's not illegal, even in Texas. <laughs> I want to write them a letter. Go off, sis. But apparently attempted murder is illegal. And Tracy claimed that in August of 1999... (laughs) In August of 1999, Celeste had acquired a recipe book for botulism. And I want to know, like, first of all, who bought a Martha Stewart botulism cookbook? Like, where do you get this? Amazon okay, was not a thing um, in 1999. So where did you write in to get okay. the botulism cookbook? But you have the botulism cookbook. Are you giving out free Botox? Because I have the, my what the fuck lines that I really would like to get rid of. Oh, I didn't tell you. So my little oh, boy Lord. pointed yes. at my forehead the other day. Oh, went, no. Daddy, are you okay? And I went, yeah. And he went, it's cracked. And rubbed my forehead <gasps> wrinkle. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to go bury my head now. I will see you in 40 to 60 years. It's cracked. And he was Children so concerned. Are like, was... <laughs> Children are a gift. Children are a gift. That they are. Um. So, um, so anyway, so she had this botulism cookbook. So she used this cookbook to make rancid meat, to make chili dogs for her husband and serve them to Steve. And he ate it up and told her it was delicious. And then Celeste got pissed because he didn't get sick even at all. And I think wow. that's a testament to how shitty her cooking must have always been if he didn't even notice the rancid meat. I mean, also, and I have to go back to the fact that you need to be using that botulism cookbook to make <laughs> underground Botox shots for you and your friends and make a shitload of money instead of trying to kill your husband. Like, what's wrong with you? No, if she, if she can't figure out how to make actual rancid meat, I don't want her fucking messed up botulism in my face either. Oh, I'm sorry. What the fuck do you think Botox is? It's poison. I mean, oh, I know what it is, but I don't want her shoddily made poison. I don't want her back alley poison that's going to to paralyze just this one eyebrow. Where I suddenly have the shocked emotion on one face, like on one half of my face. I'm going to need someone to just grab that audio from Paul when he just answered me (laughs) because we talked last week a lot about the word honky tonk. (laughs) 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 Listen, when I get around my family and I know this about myself, I talk like I just crawled out of the bottom of the fucking swamp. But that, my friend, was golden. 
I don't know if you're just tired yes, or sick, but that I'm tired, I, I, I'm sick, and my mother-in-law so un- was in all weekend, and she is very. I southern. didn't even. I didn't even know your twang did that until oh, just now. Yeah, that's my natural voice bad. that I have to cover every time we speak. Um, oh, Lord. Anyway, um, someone so please yeah, grab that notice. and send it to me because I'm going to make it in my ringtone. Thank you. He didn't even notice the rancid meat, which must mean, like, if her cooking is that shitty, that must mean it's some real good blowjob that's going on on those Sunday suck days. Um, Hey, you know what? Don't knock a good (laughs) blowjob until you've tried it, because it will cover a multitude of sins. (laughs) So Tracy claimed that Celeste came to her again after that, saying that she couldn't take it anymore. Steve had to die or Celeste would kill herself. She said she couldn't leave Steve because he would kill her. Tracy had to help or her inactivity would lead to Celeste's death either way. This is how I would never get involved in a murder because my friend would be like, you have to help me kill my husband. I'd be like, the fuck I do. (laughs) Right. If it's my idea, it's one thing. If it's your idea, it's totally different. Right, exactly. So Tracy and Celeste agreed to a plan that Tracy would come in and shoot Steve in the stomach with a shotgun and stage a robbery, and that Celeste would clean up the shell. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you and whatever the fuck this messed up shit is that actually happened to us. And I think that's the rejected Scooby-Doo script. Love it. So Tracy then said that Steven didn't accidentally die from staff she said that celeste had killed steve with her own bare hands then she said that celeste would get her hands muddy outside before changing his dressings on his wound so that he would contract an infection and since she'd limited his visitors nobody would ever know We talked so, about this when we covered Munchausen's that I can't nope, I can't do it. Nope. So in exchange for Tracy's cooperation in court, she was offered a sentence of twenty years with the possibility of parole after ten years, which was a reduced right. charge from what she was looking at. Um, mm-hmm. Celeste was then charged with conspiracy to commit capital murder among other charges. So prosecutors laid out their evidence and then called Tracy to the stand. Mm -hmm. She didn't minimize like to her, um, to her credit, she didn't minimize her involvement in the crime. She laid out all the things that she did. And she also laid out, um, all the things that she'd said Celeste had done through the course of their friendship. She was believable. She seemed sincere in her testimony and the prosecutors hoped that the jury would sympathize, sympathize with Tracy um, and believe that she was sympathize. manipulated by Celeste. Sympathize. Uh, that they would sympathize with her and believe that she was manipulated by Celeste throughout their relationship. Um, sure. Manipulated enough to pull, pull the trigger. So she said on the stand that she and Celeste had had a secret sexual relationship and... Um, that kind of the promise was that when Celeste was finally free, she and Tracy could be together. 
but Celeste had made a mockery of their relationship by remarrying that younger guy less than six months after her husband had died. Less than five months after Tracy had been arrested for what she had thought was saving Celeste. The prosecution, right? The prosecution then put Jennifer and Christina on the stand to testify against Celeste, who went on to talk about how manipulative and controlling she'd always been. And it's rare that children testify against their parents, but both the twins did, and their testimony was damning. It's actually extremely rare. Like, to the point when, yeah. like, when I heard it, I was like, whoa, that is, like, wow. Yeah. Well, wait till you hear about this dramatic motherfucker in just a second. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> so on March 19th, 2003, Celeste Beard Johnson was found guilty of capital murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. She has never admitted to any involvement in Steve's murder. Even in Snapped, she maintained that she was not guilty of anything. And as of the airing of that Snapped episode, she is all, she was also estranged from her daughters. Apparently, as of the airing of this Lifetime movie, she still is. Um, she called them in an interview the Menendez sisters because they turned on their own mother. What the fuck? Dramatic ass. As someone who firmly believes that the Menendez brothers should be out of prison by now, uh-huh. I'm going to take special offense to that. Also, uh-huh. can you even imagine what a narcissist you have to be to compare yourself to the Menendez uh-huh. family? Uh huh. Um, that is some like for, next level insane narcissistic behavior. Like I, wow, that's crazy. As for Tracy Tarleton, she has lived in San Antonio since she was released on parole in 2011, and will be off of parole next month. Good for her. I hope she's. You so, know, a lot of these, I'm like, you know, I don't think they can be you know, recovered or, you know, rehabilitated. I hope that she received the mental health care in prison that she obviously needed and has been yes. able to like rebuild her life. Um, it seems yes. as like if, if she's at a point where she's going to be getting off parole and she's been out of prison for, you know, as long as she has, you know, usually, okay. So you she got a 20 year sentence reduced to 10, which means she's spent 10 years in and then has been on probation probably for 10 years. If she's done all of that and like not, had to go back to prison. I assume she's done really well for herself. And that's, that's good. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad for her. Well, and if we're looking at the typical profile of, of the type of narcissist that would do the things that Celeste did, um, she, she victimized Tracy. She, yeah. she set a lot of traps. She did. It was a lot of planning going into this, you know, like you don't just accidentally wind up working at the country club. You insinuate yourself yeah. in that circumstance because you need, like, you know what the types of people you're looking for, you know, or, the types or, of people you are trying to victimize, you know, or your parents work there or your parents are no, not work there or your parents are members there and you work there during the summer. It's like that's, oh, those are the two types of employees at country a, clubs. 
yeah i was i was gonna say this is not a square and rectangle thing i'm not saying like those are the only two types yeah. i'm just saying like she had already known that she was looking for rich and powerful people so she found right. a way to get near them that I'm it was saying, not and, accidental but, but that it she really up there growing up in the country club kind of scene it is kind of one or the other it's either like your parents work there well it's really one of three or your parents are members there and you work there during the summer you know caddying or you know driving golf whatever right. um or you've worked there for so long like forever since it was like a bad place um or you're after somebody else's money like <laughs> there's three distinct right. like things there gotcha weird all right well thanks for going down this uh road that was fun i i'm not sure i wanted to take this trip but we did it and we got to the end and we all survived and the wheels Which are still trip on you like so. better this one or gone mom <laughs> god this one uh-huh okay just gonna put a little perspective um, in there for you hey so what are you reading right now oh i am reading one second. um a book it's an arc that i got no i don't oh, fine turn on my alarm I'm still trying to finish Survive the Night. Um, it's not that I'm not into it. I am. I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of having a hard time with it. Um, oh, that's, the that makes me sad because you were so hyped for its release. It's. I'm about halfway through and I know once I pick it up, I'll be able to finish it in one go. Um, it's just, I kind of put it down and I was like, well, I, I'm kind of like disappointed with it so far and I'm hoping everything okay. itself. I've heard, I've heard better things than the, than the pre-reviews that I read, um, before I got it. So I, but I know the next time I pick it up, I'll finish it in one go, but I'm also reading an arc that I got called beautiful country, um, about, okay. um, about a, a girl who comes over here as a young girl um, from China and grows up here in the U.S. She's a dreamer. Um, hold on, I actually took notes about it. Um, I said, it's extremely difficult for a memoir to sound like a novel or even a thriller. Um, the books that spring to mind that like so far I can compare this to are Glass Castle, Educated in the Sound of Gravel, um, we like oh, go through good. her journey okay. as she, as she arrives at JFK. Um, and then, um, as she like moves through her life as an undocumented person and then eventually becoming a citizen. So, um, it's really oh, good so far. Okay. I'm only in the very beginning of it, but it's, it's, it reads like a novel. It's captivating. So. I love those. I love memoirs yeah. and especially if they read it, like if it's written like a mm -hmm. story. And that was the one thing about our um, Patreon episode this week, you know, Amanda Linhow, um in the interview, she talks about how she really wanted her memoir to read like a novel. She didn't want it to read like a, right. you know, here's me telling you this story. She wanted it to read like a novel and it very much does. It's a great book. I'm going to have to pick it up. It's so good. Um, it's one of my favorites. So, what about you? What are you reading? Well, I mentioned 
you know, earlier this episode that I am in the middle of Mindy Kaling's memoir, yes. Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? Um, which is a question I think I ask all the time. So it's appropriate for me. Um, and then I got Malibu Rising in the mail today, finally arrived. Um, and oh, I, I I'm going to read that as soon as I finished. Oh, I'm sure I will because Taylor Jenkins Reid could write a knock knock joke and I would think it's wonderful. Taylor Jenkins Reid could write a phone book and I would read it. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I've got going on. And awesome. um, I made soap today. I, you know, I took a, yeah. a month hiatus. I took a month break you from did. from lots of stuff. And I'm getting back in the swing of all that. And it smells amazing. And I'm glad to be back in the swing of things. <laughs> you sent us a picture and literally every single one of our friends were like, we want to eat it. And you were like, please don't eat the soap. It's bad for you. Don't do that. So... <laughs> <laughs> Like I, it's edible because I think you can eat anything you put your mind to, but I wouldn't recommend it by yeah, any means. Yeah, that's bad for sure. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thank you everybody for yes. hanging out with us. Um, and you can look us up on all the social media places in the world. Yes. We're on all of them. There's not a social uh -huh. media we haven't um, if infiltrated yet, um, sure. when, when, um, parlor gets back up, you can access our parlor. You can. No. Aaron <laughs> was no. like, no hard pass. No. It's a no on you the can parlor. find us on, um, Google plus you can find us on MySpace. <laughs> you can <laughs> find our Zanga at Zanga.com. <laughs> Tumblr still our okay? live journal. Yes, Tumblr oh, still man. exists. And our Friendster. Yes. God, you may not even oh. be old enough to remember Friendster. Oh, I remember Friendster. So old. Oh. No, but in 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 uh, real talk, you can find us. Oh, and I'm stuttering. That's how late it is. Um, or rather, how tired I am. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/lifetime/sentence on mm -hmm. Twitter at Life Sentence Pod, on mm -hmm. Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on yeah. TikTok at Lifetime Sentence. Um, True. Find our website with show notes and merch at lifetimesentence.com. Shoot mm -hmm. us an email at podcast at lifetimesentence.com. And uh -huh. hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. I happened to look at our Patreon today. Do you know how many Patreon episodes we have now? seven quadzillion 98 do we really yeah three of them were released this hear, week so if you want to hear 98 more episodes you can subscribe to our patreon and hear us talk about 98 more stupid things you're welcome yes <laughs> um, I, we we are not joking when we say that um, last week after our full episode went live, we released a Patreon episode that we sat down and recorded four solid hours of audio for, we split it into two oh episodes. God. Um, we are still recording that episode. It feels like we it was right so much Absolutely. fun and I think necessary to record, but, mm -hmm. um, 
Aaron and I do deep dives that we don't always do on this show. And yeah. um, we had, Super fun. I had a lot of fun doing that research. And so I hope you will join us over there. Yeah. Come find us. Oh, and hey, sh- shout out, shout out to um, South Korea, where we hit the true crime charts over there this week. Woo! Oh my God. If you're listening to us in South Korea, we love you. We love you. It's amazing. <laughs> Like a lot. We I love had you no a lot. idea. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know people. In, I, like, sometimes it's I get our analytics and I'm like, and I'm like, what, what in that country would inspire someone to search for our like little dinky little podcast? And it makes me so happy right. that people like all over the world. It's so crazy. Right. And the I world just, is so I big, but it also time, feels but... so small. <laughs> Well, I just, I say it all the time, but I forget that people actually listen. Like it's yeah. just me and you getting to hang out for two hours. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And so the fact that other people enjoy it too is incredible, but just shout out to everyone who's listening. We love you a lot. Yay, um, we do. Even if you're not in South Korea, and, even if you're just right down the road. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, um, until next time, guys. Don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye.